Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Visit RCAT.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. My guests today are two incredible women. Jenna Knudsen, AIA, Lead AP, BD, and C, Managing Principal, and Gina Chang, AIA, EDAC, Principal, both from Co-Architects in Los Angeles, California. Jenna has led award-winning large-scale academic laboratory and healthcare projects on university and healthcare campuses across the country. Her groundbreaking projects demonstrate innovation in design, sustainability, and project delivery, including early use of BIM and integrated project delivery, for which she has been nationally recognized. In addition to her leadership role in BIM adoption, she continues to push for the use of tools such as computational design, virtual and augmented reality, and custom applications to advance the work. Further, Jenna has been a longtime advocate for equal representation, spearheading initiatives to support and encourage women in architecture. Jenna has been with Co-Architects for 21 years and was promoted to the role of Managing Principal in 2021. She received a Bachelor of Architecture from the University of Southern California and a Master of Science in Architecture and Urban Design at Columbia University. Gina is a healthcare design leader who has successfully led large teams throughout ambitious project goals. With more than 20 years of experience, Gina understands the complex and unique nature of healthcare projects. She is an advocate for evidence-based design and sees each project as an opportunity to create an environment for healing and wellness. Gina joined Co-Architects in 2007 as a medical planner and project coordinator for the Palomar Medical Center, 
followed by leadership roles on projects for Kaiser Permanente, City of Hope, UC Irvine, and others. Gina holds a Bachelor of Arts in Architecture from the University of California, Berkeley, and is EDAC certified. The project we're going to talk about today is the Palomar Medical Center in Escondido, California. Nationally recognized for its innovative approach to sustainable design, healing environments, and technical execution, Palomar Medical Center, or PMC, is a 35-acre campus that includes a 360-bed acute care hospital. Innovations in medical planning and architectural design meet the project goals of improving access to care and operational efficiencies while creating sustainable, high-performance healing environments. Evidence-based design firsts include universal patient rooms, which accommodate a variety of in-room procedures to minimize moving patients and minimize germ exposure. Further, PMC was a pilot project for the Green Guide for Healthcare, or GGHC for short, rating system. Biophilic design strategies incorporate natural light in operating rooms, garden spaces at every level of the 11-story nursing tower, and green roof technology that extends the landscape and improves views from the patient rooms. The design includes a full complement of water conservation, air quality, and energy-saving measures. Tell me one interesting thing about you, and this has become a a really interesting question. One interesting thing about you that is not at least directly related to architecture. I have a hobby, which is uh, carving rocks with, uh, you know, old school kind of hammer and chisel. It it couldn't be a slower hobby. (laughs) And it really isn't about an end product really for me. It's just kind of about messing around with my hands and doing something slow. Two things pop in my head. Did she just say carving rocks? <laughs> and I need a I need a picture for our landing page. I need a picture of a carved rock. Oh God! Uh, how about you, Jenna? I have one son who is eleven years old, and he is a big baseball player. So baseball is a big part of our life. And, you know, on the team, and we've been on the same team for many years, you know, each of the parents kind of has their talents. And, you know, one mom has the Band-Aids and somebody else is, you know, has the snacks or whatever. And um, I'm the one that everyone turns to for the math. So I'm the person who figures out the statistics of where are we going to be seated in the next day? What time are we going to play? What are the odds? So that's my talent. I'm the I'm the math baseball mom. Nice. I it, personally, I think math is hard. Um, so let's let's get into this project and this process. Having had family members in my life who have gone through long illnesses and things like that, I would say, in my personal opinion, historically, medical facilities of any kind are not the warmest places to be, nor are they the most empathetic places to be. Can you talk to me a little bit about designing for healing and wellness? Yeah, well, you're right. Most people think of medical facilities as stark and cold, kind of high-tech machine slash buildings for curing disease. And, you know, that's where you go to get operated on. But the people who are experiencing that building are maybe the most stressed out they've been in their lives. And, you know, they really need these human needs met. When we take a more human-centered approach to designing these facilities, you know, we look at nature, daylight, 
views, things that evidence has proven, you know, improves outcomes for patients and reduces length of stay, readmissions. You know, it makes the staff feel more alert. It makes them less stressed out. I mean, even the staff are more stressed out than normal staff, as you can imagine. When you're in a hospital and you're contemplating things that you maybe don't normally contemplate, like life and death, nature has more significance. You might find more significance looking at birds flying by or greenery. So one of the first things we do when we get a project is we scout out the natural gifts that are part of that site. And that really impacts a lot of our decisions early on, massing, height, orientation, and you know, creating a place that's more home-like and comfortable. We look at colors that can be comforting, finishes that are softer. Uh, yeah, you have all the technology around you. A lot of times we look at tucking things away so you don't feel like you're so much in a medical facility. Uh, and then empathy is really about putting some control back into the hands of the people who work there. A lot of times, healthcare, you don't have control over what happens. You're not there by choice. But if you can control a few of the things in your physical environment, like your lighting or your view or the furniture, you know, that puts some of that control back into the hands of the people there, which, you know, can help them feel a little bit more empowered and you know, that's what we'd all want to do. I think one of my best experiences, this this is kind of an oxymoron, in a medical facility um, was in a hospice facility here in Portland that was is an old, old money, big, huge Portland mansion that they remodeled and changed into a hospice facility. And we all know why you're at a hospice facility. And it was so comfortable and, and, and private spaces and living rooms everywhere and pillows and all these just different things to make you feel at home while you're, you know, spending 24 hours a day waiting for someone that you love to pass. And I feel everything around me. It's bizarre. You know, I have to, I have to actually control my environment and who I'm around because I'm going to soak it all in. And it was a game changer and how our whole family navigated an incredibly difficult time. And any space affects me emotionally. But I can't think of a more important space. So when I was, you know, looking at your information, I'm just like, I want to hear all about this. Because I think that is the most wonderful thing to take it. You know, I've been around <laughs> a long time, longer than I'm going to admit. And, and I know what the driving factors typically are in a building. It's budget and schedule are usually the top two. And, and I mean, you know, the perfect balance includes quality, but depending on the building and who you're working for and what environment, how you're delivering the project, that isn't always a top priority. And I can't think of a better place that it becomes a top priority than in a medical facility. So let's talk about this facility. Paint a verbal picture of so our listeners can kind of imagine what kind of spaces and what this building what it's made of and what it looks like. It is an acute care hospital, about 740,000 square feet, 360 beds. It's an 11-story building with a basement, quite a large building, sits up on a hill overlooking its surroundings in Escondido, so a quite prominent location. And what it was conceived of was really as the vertical garden hospital. So as Gina described earlier, understanding the cues 
and the kind of you know natural environment with which a building you know is being built um, is really part of the driving force. So we were really able to capture that in the design of the building as a counterpoint to that that you know sort of technological machine that is necessary in in healthcare. And so gardens become a prominent feature of the building that we use gardens to to organize you know, the spaces and as wayfinding and orientation. As you mentioned, there's a a one and a half acre green roof and public terrace on the third floor. It sits on top of what's called the diagnostic and treatment. Hospitals are generally made up of really kind of two major components. There's the, the low, wide diagnostic and treatment, which houses really the machines, right? The surgical and the um, and the imaging and the emergency department. And then there's the bed tower. And so that green roof sits over the DNT. The, the tower sort of barely touches the DNT uh, in order to create the connections. And so that green roof served many purposes, but thought about as the view from the patient rooms. Uh, probably anybody who's been in a hospital knows you're often looking down on, you know, mechanical equipment. And so um, that that provided a kind of extension of the landscape. Um, also, there are terraces for patients and staff and visitors on every single floor. And so really sort of this expression of nature all throughout the building. Let's talk about some of the actual technical elements of the building. What were some of the things you found challenging to get to where you needed to go in this building? Our approach to design is often, you know, how do you make something do many things? And so um, in really thinking about the DNT, one of the goals there was it needs to be flexible and it needs to be adaptable because we know that it's going to change over time. And in fact, we know that the technology that we're designing for is going to be obsolete by the time it opens. Right. right? So how do we acknowledge that? still want to bring the daylight and views into that very deep floor plate. I mean, these are 200 by 600 foot floor plates or something, you know, quite huge. And so using flexibility, adaptability, integration of daylight, we basically created a trust area over the operating rooms. So we have a um, 105 foot trusses over the length of the operating room. So there's no obstructions, there's no columns that will be there for the life of the building. Um, That allows the flexibility for planning. Then we thought about, well, if we don't want structural obstructions, then we can't really have major mechanical obstructions uh, because those will also limit the future flexibility. So we wanted to to run them in in the truss. We found, well, there's very large ones and there's smaller ones, right? And so then that's where this sort of shape, this undulating shape of the roof came from. There are air handling units that sit at the back of that DNT that undulating green roof um, inside. So you don't see them, they're hidden, but they're feeding all of the ductwork into those high points um, of the hills of the roof. And then really work very hard to figure out, you know, how do we layer um, the multiple levels of systems in a way that um, they can be the least disruptive you know, in the future. So the top layer is the stuff that's not going to change for, you know, 25, 50 years. Um, The middle layer where we had a kind of steel interstitial floor is, you know, what's feeding what's there today. And then the lowest layer is really kind of the individual room and the technology. So the ability to change those things 
over time. And as you can imagine, it required a great deal of integration between the structural engineer, you know, the mechanical engineers, the trade contractors for those spaces. We actually built an OR way after construction was complete, and we did not disrupt any of the areas around it. Uh, So turns out that that design actually ended up proving out, which was good. And the platform there was so big because the client wanted to change the way that they operated. Before surgery was over here and um, IRCath was over here and they're, they're very similar uses. They have a similar flow, but they operated totally separately and specifically. And what, what this facility tried to do is make them operate flexibly and as one big platform. One of the things that did is made surgeons talk to IR procedurists in a way that they hadn't talked before about patient flow, about patient care, uh, to the point where I know that there was this one time a patient came in, was referred to surgery. The surgeon saw the patient, assessed him and said, actually, I know that they belong in IR because I've been working with that doctor and I know what they do, uh, sent the patient to the correct place. That wouldn't have happened if they had not been involved in this collaboration about flow and making it better for the patient. So it's really putting the patient at the center. Talk to me about some of the product systems, materials, assemblies that you used in this building to get to where you are today. So one was in that DNT and and surgery because of the depth and the goal to bring in daylight. Uh, We did that from the perimeter, right? But that wasn't enough. Then we drove in courtyards, which brought in light, but needed more. And so really wanted to bring daylight into the corridors. And so did that in two ways. One was through a, you know, kind of traditional framed skylight, but because of all those things that we were, I was talking about before, right? All the, all these layers of systems, we wanted to use light tubes and, you know, it's kind of traditionally used in a more residential. um, And so, you know, it's basically a kind of skylight at the roof and then it has a flexible uh, housing. Reflective, right? Yes. That, you know, that can bring, bring the light so we could weave it through. Um, So that was interesting. Um, It also kind of resulted in an interesting challenge, which was that it needed a fire rating enclosure And we were having a hard time figuring out how to do that flexibly. And um, it was actually the mechanical contractor who said, well, this is kind of like a duck, just use duck wrap. And that's what we ended up doing. Um, Another unique aspect of the site um, that resulted in some unique products, but also some unique challenges was, uh, this is basically bedrock. Uh, I mean, had to blast it to excavate for the basement. But that provided an opportunity that was an extremely stable ground. And so the potential to really take advantage of that and reduce uh, the footings, uh, you know, which you can imagine for an 11-story uh, hospital in California with seismic requirements would be quite extensive. And so used an application of rock anchors, you know, that were basically taking advantage of that rock and tying in the structural system you know, save quite a bit of money. You know, you're, you've are you got this driving factor of health and wellness and well-being and how you feel in the building. What kinds of things did you do for finishes on the inside of this building to kind of promote that atmosphere? Well, one of the things we studied intensively on this job was the patient room. I mean, everything about the patient room, from where the sink is to 
the window to the toilet being inboard or outboard. We were using this unit so many times that we had to study it in great detail and make sure it was right. And then you can just do it over and over. So this is a project that used uh, same handed rooms, used all the evidence based design principles we could think of in terms of, you know, the right type of view, grab bars that, you know, making sure you have something to grab onto so you won't fall down to the, um, you know, the warmth of the finishes of the patient room. I mean, making sure that every detail in that room was just right. Really bringing hospitality into healthcare, right? Yeah. Um, again, you know, sort of that idea of warmth and not home, but comforts, right? The kind of comforts into the finishes and the interiors. Yeah, the thing that sticks out, I mean, it's not a big thing, but it's the door to the toilet. It's recessed, so you don't have the door frame. You know, it kind of looks like a hotel when you go and you can't find the, the bathroom <laughs> because it looks so modern and sleek. It, it has that detail and just has so many other details. You know, like the decentralized nursing zone is on the outside. You're looking into each of the patient rooms. This happens for every patient room, even though it's not a requirement for the med surge because they were all designed, you know, to be universal in case one day those rooms wanted to become an ICU or a step-down unit. But even those, that glass that goes into the, um, the room, we looked at electronic glass, you know, ways to make it more beautiful. I know all the, um, the sills of the windows are all concealed within the wall just to have that smooth look. And, you know, every detail was just kind of examined. It took a lot more effort, but I think it made the room look much more like a hotel room than it would like a hospital room. At the end of the day, it comes down to the little things. I can't even imagine the research it must have taken in that you took the time to take on those extra little details. I'm over here having a little party for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, because it is, those things matter. And as our world progresses, we, we tend to not always focus on the things that we should. And it's the people that matter. And it's the little things that matter instead of always the dollar. People need to sometimes get out of their box and be the person using that facility for a minute. What do right. I feel if I'm the person coming in here for care? So I just, I had to sing your praises a little bit because I love everything that's coming out of your mouth. <laughs> um, each of you pick maybe one of your biggest lesson learned from this project that you took into your next project and did something differently, or maybe you attacked something earlier, or you asked this question, you know, there's always something. So many lessons learned. And I don't <laughs> think in a, well, we messed that one up. So I learned not to do it that way. It, right. um, Palomar was just such a aspirational project and what the client wanted to do in changing the way that they operate and the way they took care of patients really opened our eyes to so many different factors that we need to think about when we do that. For instance, just, you know, all the evidence-based design principles like same-handed rooms and not moving the patient around and having the family be more involved in making space for them. Those are things that we put into every project now. Well, as appropriate, you know, we have to keep up with the research and make sure, hey, these things are still proving out because there's no point in spending money or sticking to your guns when research is showing that it's not actually proving out, which we which we found with some of these evidence-based design principles. And then the other thing is flexibility. They were just so focused on flexibility. You know, healthcare is changing faster and faster. Uh, you know, with COVID, now emphasis is on different types of flexibility. And, you know, technology is changing so fast. 
it takes how long to build a hospital, but it takes how fast to get a new iPhone, you know, system. So uh, we need to think about that. We need to think about what technology will be in the future, however impossible that sounds, uh, because technology is going to be that new care team partner. It's going to give people the ability to be at home instead of be in the hospital or understand their health situation and and uh, talk about it themselves and not have to wait for someone to explain it to them. And tra- So so many things are changing. It's exciting to think about how to incorporate that stuff. We don't know what it is always, but I think that's sort of a lesson learned. Always try to think about what it could be and then build the, build the building to be able to do many different things. I would imagine after doing that project, that on your next medical project, you were just armed to the teeth with questions you may not have known to ask and knowing right where right where to go for the jugular. I need to know this right out of the chute. I like how you talk about asking questions because I think a danger in specializing in certain project types is to come in saying, we know how to do this. You know, we just did one, right? Here's what you need to do. And not every organization is the same. Not every building for sure is the same, right? Or site. So, you know, I think it's finding that balance of what we've done, what we know, but really it's knowing the questions to ask to get at the right you know, kind of the next right solution. And yes, bringing the, you know, the lessons learned, but really approaching, you know, every project with that body of knowledge, but an an inquisitive nature about how is this one going to be different? It's just like the children analogy again, you know, every (laughs) client project is like another kid, you know how to do some things in mothering, but you know, you always got to start fresh with a lot of things. Oh yeah. This one worked for that one, but not this one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, exactly. And it's not even just the building. It's also your owner. It's also your users. Like, where is that building? How you're going to um, think about what questions you need to ask or how you're going to design that building is directly dependent on the community around it that's going to be using it. it. And all of those things come into play. So it's it's all these un- all these players are unique in a different children, a child every time. Um, keeps us on our toes. So my final question um, and I edited this at your request. <laughs> so personal or professional for each of you, what mark do you hope to leave on the world? Uh, yeah, the reason I had a problem with the world domination part <laughs> is because I don't think of it like making a huge change. And when I'm gone, everyone's going to put my name on the building and that kind of stuff. I, the only mark that I could think of making was, you know, on the individual project or client or patient or family or staff member. I learned so much from working with these caregivers. What I do is really just to support them and what they do, because what they do is really changing the world. You know, one example is uh, recently there's been a lot of focus on staff, you know, not the patient, but the staff. I mean, patients always at the center, right. but the staff is the forgotten hero. They're not allowed to feel stressed. They're not allowed to melt down. They've got to be strong. And as a result, you know, people are leaving the medical field, the rate of suicide is astronomical right now. The depression rates are really, really high. And there's the ones who stay are stuck even more stressed out because everyone else is leaving. And people are starting to finally pay attention to it. Uh, there's one, I guess, trend um, called Lavender Rooms that was started at, I think, Cleveland Clinic. It's about giving a room 
you know, not a staff break room, but a specific room for when you have that SOS moment. It can be small. It should have a big window to the outdoors. It could have like a massage chair and lavender oils or whatever. But it's actually starting to be built into hospitals, you know, where at $1,000 a square foot, you know, that sort of space was never contemplated before. And we've started putting it in our hospital projects and suggesting it somewhat, you know, some adopt it, some don't. That little, that little room, it's like 80 square feet. Uh, It's not a big change, but it is. It's those little things, like you said, that, um, that make a difference. And if we can do those little things, it's makes a big mark. How about you, Jenna? I think I would like people to say I made them laugh. (laughs) I just, I, I think humor is super important. I like to laugh in like my kind of personal relationships and humor is, is probably a thread through them. Just people who, who make me laugh and, um, and vice versa. And I think it's really good for the soul. And so I would, I would be happy if my mark was that people thought I made them laugh. Well, you know, um, and just so you know, world domination is only my goal. I will never reach. <laughs> it, it's just, that's my goal. I will never reach, but I want to always be working towards it. Um, none of us really knows how we're going to affect other people with what we do. Um, how many lives you might save talking about a high suicide rate by um, helping your clients understand the value of these lavender rooms. You have no idea. And so it's not really a little thing. It is a big thing. Making people laugh. You don't know when somebody's having a really crappy day, but that that laugh, that joke you told, or that just funny little teasing somebody, something about somebody that broke that moment for them. So I think those are both truly beautiful ways to change the world because it does matter. It does matter. We should be thinking about our impact, I think, in everything we do personally and professionally. Ladies, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you today. Just know you're on the hook. I'm coming back for another project <laughs> and you're going to talk to me again. Um, well, we, we have our podcast set up now. So. Yeah. <laughs> your, room's, your room's all set up. <laughs> I really appreciate you joining me today. It, it truly was a pleasure. Thank you. Yep. It was Enjoyed a pleasure to be well. here. Yeah, good way to start our day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, Visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, rcat has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try rcat and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. Visit rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.